Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Buckle up, Sodomites, and welcome to the Sinister Sissies Podcast, your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man on man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity, and I'm here with my co-host, as always, my little slave, Sam, who's riddled with diseases, but none of them corona. Well, you know, TBC, he doesn't let me out, so I'm not exactly sure what I have, but he he tells me it's not. If you see Sam in public, cough on him. I think I might have (laughs) Stockholm Syndrome. And we have a special guest today. We have Josh, a.k.a. Bathsheba, here today to talk about a particular true crime topic that he is excited about. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for having me at this very strange time. Yeah, we're not quite at the uh, the meeting. Meter distance that is it six meters? What are we meant to be? I thought it was four meters. I think it's four meters. Anyway, we're way too close. We're riddled in each other's spit. Likely, we already have things that are way more dangerous than COVID, anyway. So, if anything, we're doing society a favor by being in a room together. It is. We're containing our filth. It's yeah. It's, <laughs> we're creating a super bug that only us will be affected by. Exactly. It's uh, it's quite funny that we're doing a podcast about a party monster when we're not allowed to actually party. No. Yeah. Although we are drinking now. This is a party. This exactly. Is, you know, well, fourteen is- year old me would have been happy with this level. <laughs> this, is, this is a new version. I have two friends and some tr- yeah. some booze. <laughs> what more could a girl want? So what what crime are we talking about today? Who are we talking about? Today we're talking about Michael Arling. New York's downtown nightlife. Until his world spiraled out of control, ending in a brutal murder. I said, we are either going to be caught with this dead body in our apartment, or we have to get rid of it somehow. The drug abuse definitely contributed to Michael's decline, but a lot of people do drugs. They don't go around killing people, chopping them up, throwing them into rivers. Ultimately, Michael is a very, very charming person. He's just got this very evil liquid center to him. Michael Arleg was born in 1966 and he was the younger of two sons. He was a straight A student in the top 8% of his class, Ooh. would you believe? So 
by all accounts, Michael Eilig was very intelligent and very charismatic, even from a young age. So Michael Eilig was pretty relentlessly bullied, so he decided to move to New York City in 1984, where he enrolled... Just before you go on to that, yeah. is there any truth to the idea that when he was younger, because he was bullied, he started, like, a lolly sales operation at school because that's in the film and i'm assuming that's the kind of anecdote that's probably real i haven't heard, seen that in my research for that but, but that's, that's a very cute anecdote from the film yeah as in like this idea that he was so intelligent he couldn't make friends but instead he used to like bulk buy a whole bunch of lollies <laughs> and then like <laughs> upsell them to kids at school well that's a pretty well, good drug dealing right yeah. yeah and i'm also getting ideas for toilet paper right mm. now so lessons i have no toilet lolly. paper <laughs> so anyway, what happened when Michael Alec got to New York? So, uh, well, he enrolled at Fordham University and he enrolled in fashion and architecture. Now, do either of you know what New York was like in 1984? Riddled with AIDS? Pretty much. Yeah. But also, it was probably like what Detroit is like today, aka okay. shit. Yes, yeah. well, the crime rate was humongous. There's that movie, A Most Violent Year. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about the crime rate in New York, potentially even in 1984. Yeah. yeah. Out of control. So in 1984, it was a bit of a post-punk sort of wasteland, a dystopia, if you will. So this is post-CBGB when, you know, bands like the Ramones or Blondie were heading down to the Bowery and having quite a good time. So all the fun seemed to be in the underground, mm. uh, which I quite enjoy in a way. But above... Um, I- I'd say as well, heroin's peaking at this point, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think all drugs are pretty much peaking at this point. So that was a very interesting kind of way to look at New York. Now when you think of New York, it's such a glossy sort of wonderland in most of Manhattan. So it was totally different to that. If you look at some photos, it's, yeah, it's pretty much like Kosovo Mm. or, yeah, or like Detroit today. So (laughs) it was um, not a fun time. So also Times Square was completely different. It was so raunchy, like... Oh, yeah, little porn stores and stuff. Absolutely, a lot of porn shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sex workers on every corner. So completely different. It wasn't Disney-fied at this point. Maybe we're going to, like, re-enter that grunge era now that we're in kind of a semi-apocalyptic... I would love it. I would thrive I am here for it. Like, why don't we start a band? I'll see you on the street corner. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see you you there. Anyway, so Michael Alling turned up to New York City and worked with a busboy at a club called Danceteria, which a little-known pop star at the time called Madonna got her big break. And she was doing some pretty um, primitive shows for Madonna's standards today. There was no cone bra or gyrating on any 20-year-old man. Yeah. But it was, that's what it was, and that was a very interesting time. Also, artists like Basquiat and Keith Haring were at their sort of... Uh, creative pinnacle as well. So a very different scene from New York City at que- the time. Question from, from me. Yes. Uh, how is he affording to live in New York? It's like, was New York cheaper back then? Yes. Oh, See, that's okay. the thing. Oh, okay. um, a lot of artists uh, were saying at the time rent was not an issue for them. So mm. they could ch- channel their funds or channel their funds into their art. And also, this was uh, a post-Studio uh, 54 time as well. Yeah. So, Studio 54, if everyone knows what that is. I've seen that movie with Mark Wahlberg. Yes. No, that's with Brian Phillippe. You're yeah. thinking of Boogie Nights. Yeah. 50, 50, ah. yeah 54 has um, Neve Campbell, yeah. Brian Phillippe. Selma Hayek. And for some reason, Mike Myers. Is there like a sexy bit in that? Why am I viewing that as like a There's teenage a, wanky? A lot of, well, 
Yeah, I can see where you've crossed your lines with Boogie Nights. They're, okay. they're pretty similar. I think perhaps the same year they came out. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Sexy times. So around this time also, Andy Warhol created the phenomena of the celebutante. Okay. So that's uh, famous for being famous. In oh. essence, maybe that's the prelude to the Kardashians and people like that who have no talent whatsoever, but they're famous for their personalities. So Andy Warhol created the celebutante and... Artists like Little Edie emerged, which people may know from Grey Gardens. So, again, I think that was a very early stages of people being interested in personality as opposed to these people who have really no talent as such. And it's a very interesting side note that Studio 54 has this long-lasting legacy and they were only open for 11 months. Really? Yes. Michael Alec got a job as a busboy at Danceteria, which is a very cool club at the time. And Michael asked to participate in a go-go boy competition where apparently he was just terrible. Absolutely terrible. Oh. Apparently all these people came out and they had jock straps and they were like twirling from the ceiling, etc., pulling things out of mysterious places. Sounds like can- me versus you if we were to... <laughs> <laughs> can we... His fabulous legs. Um, we I've saw seen, them. We've I've seen, seen it. We've seen it. We've apparently seen you saw more than my legs. Oh, yeah, we saw some balls show. as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, can we describe Michael Alec physically at this point? Twinkie. Twinkie. Michael Alec was very twinky. I guess the modern definition of a twink, which is quite lean. Um, I would say he was quite cute. Mm. He was quite cute. If you're able to say that about a a killer. Yeah. I say it all the time about Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah, young Jeffrey Dahmer. Young Jeffrey Dahmer, not the the one who was clobbered by a a weight at the gym in a jail and died. Yeah. But, yeah. It's never what you want, you know. So, anyway, uh, he competed in this go-go competition and he failed miserably, obviously, because he came out and pretty much did a shimmy and, and that was it. He used that as an opportunity to hobnob with some promoters and he pretty much got up in their face and he um, thought of an idea for a night which was the Filthy Mouth Contest. Ooh. So, pretty much, people would come up on stage and just sling insults at the audience and the best insult won a jug of beer or whatever. So I actually kind of like that I idea. like that as well. Yeah. I guess this is pre-cancel culture, so you could say whatever you wanted. Do you think that in the era of Michael Alec, when he started hosting these parties and becoming more involved in the scene, would you mm-hmm. say that maybe he'd be credited by some people as kind of revitalising the queer dance scene, like post-AIDS? Well, I think at this time he was a little bit of a pioneer at that time. I don't think there was much, much of a queer scene. I guess this is post you know, peer culture, you know, the, the that's that stereotype of queers going down to the pier and everything's quite in private, like yeah. jerking off each other, etc. on the dingy piers. So it's I like, think it's like everything in cruising that I find, like, yeah. really titillating, where, like, they're just meeting in cruise spots and that's... And cruise spots and, and spas and not spas, yeah. and saunas. And, exactly, and yeah. not... Uh, well, I feel... Is... There was a lot may... scene in New York in pre aid that's all I know. My so... my my view is the like the, the view of the pink dollar and mm. the view of being able to like commercially orientate yourself towards a gay demographic was more of a nineties thing. Yeah. And mm. definitely a today thing. Oh definitely. Everyone was so, now. It's interesting yeah. you asked me that because around that time Andy Warhol died. In mm. 1987, and that's when the Valerie Solanas Scum Manifesto freed it. It's interesting. Absolutely. Shall thank you for the recommendation. Yeah. Jared. <laughs> and so around that time, the club kid was born. Here they are, the club kids. I'm telling you, this is the latest. You gotta know about this. 
Keep your eye on these people. These young men and women. Well, this. Who are these people? I heard an interesting, an interesting quote when I was doing research for this, and it is innovation is taking bits and pieces of what has come before and working them together in new ways. So in the culmination of Andy Warhol's death and the idea of the celeb etc., etc., the club kit was born. And yeah, so I guess that's the answer to your question. Is well, the, this club, is... the club kit, like um, the club kit aesthetic still lives. So, you know, I guess, you know, Michael's legacy, even though he's not dead, but you know, his legacy yeah. pre-murder is still a, uh, Still emanating through our, yeah, through our dance scenes. I think particularly today, when you look at um, drag race contestants like Aquaria or Milk, who definitely appropriate things in a really wonderful way, I think. And even my own stuff, I uh, definitely have um, reverberations from the club kid culture. Michael Arlick started collecting a little clique of uh, celebutants, shall we say, to support his club Korea, so people like James St. James and Lady Bunny, who are still popular and kicking around today. And by all accounts, Michael Arleg was very charismatic and very fun, but by all other accounts, he was very annoying and very obnoxious. So I'm not surprised. I've never met a drag queen like that, never. Right. <laughs> you be careful, I'm going to stab you with my pen. So at this time, Tunnel was a big uh, club as well, which is quite wild. That had really interesting things like that have 50 urinals and have a DJ booth either side, uh, which is very cool. It was also described as the Auschwitz of Las Vegas. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> gonna, gonna, gonna slap a problematic on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think that's Michael Alec in a nutshell. His club kit or draggy looks were described as sort of anti-fashion, cartoony, and deliberately uncool, and a sort of dysfunctional glamour. So anyway, fast-forwarding a few years, because talking about clubs when you're not in them is boring. Yeah. And so he was employed by the Limelight, which is also a really big club at the time, which was in a church, which I thought was kind of interesting symbolism, having a gay club in a church. And he launched things like Disco 2000, and also, more interestingly, he launched a night called Blood Feast, which is a bit of an interesting foreshadow of things to come. I, I love this. So this is this is in the film as well. And he's basing it around the movie Blood Feast. Yes. Um, and pretty much patrons would come in homage to their favourite serial killers. And yes. some pretty weird things would happen. Like Michael Alec would piss in a cup and throw it on patrons. I so love it. A woman would have sex with an amputee's stumps, which is um, interesting as well. Which We're Bruce LeBruce did in a recent film. There you go. Not a recent film, and film at that time. And not to kink shame at all. That sounds like quite a show. I would definitely pay to see something like that. Mm. Speaking of kinks, I think I heard that Michael likes to throw hundred dollar bills on the grounds, like on the packed dance floor, and he'd get off on watching people like dive for the money. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess <laughs> why he had a bit of a, a reputation for being quite obnoxious. Well, also, aside that maybe there was some sociopathic slash psychopathic uh, tendencies at work. Dude, absolutely. Yeah. So, I, so at this point, <clears throat> so very vulnerable boy. Um, um, you know, th th there is a nice version of the story, isn't there? That like he's he's found his 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 people. Yeah, he's found his culture, um, but people around him seem to be picking up on these certain personality characteristics that are red flags, right? They're also very hard to ignore. I guess if you're getting really positive enforced 
uh, reinforcement. It also makes a difference if you're getting positive reinforcement by being invited onto shows like Joan Rivers and Geraldo Rivera. Yeah. You're pretty much getting your tyres pumped up. You probably start to believe and your own persona. It's, it's, I, I think at this time as well that like people were liking things that were transgressive and, and trans, yeah. the, the line between transgressive and like narcissistic and selfish and sociopathic is fucking thin sometimes. Totally. And I see that in some people on the scene right now. Yeah. Uh, but obviously not everyone's um, killing people, which we'll talk about later. Uh, <laughs> well, your fingers crossed. No. Good for future episodes. <laughs> so around this time also, he was accumulating like a higher tier of celebutons, which he would have seen it as people like RuPaul. Mm. Very interesting. Chloe Sevigny and Amanda Lepore. And there's a lot of photos that have surfaced, which I think is, is quite cool and quite telling of how big his impact was in New York City at the time. People like Bjork were coming to the clubs and having fun. So that's, you know, I think if you're getting those kind of people coming to your clubs, you might start to believe that you're as important as and what you are. As a promoter, he was getting a fair amount of money coming in, wasn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. And I've heard uh, different sources saying that Michael would act fucked up. Like, he would act like he was on drugs, etc. And then it segued into him actually becoming a bit of a drug addict. As his popularity grew, he became the monster. Within. What, what age was he at this point? Early 20s? He would have been yeah, about 21, 22 at this time. I can imagine. Imagine earning, like, thousands and thousands of dollars a night yeah. in your early 20s. Yeah. I imagine he was... Because I, I, I don't know if this is accurate, but in the film, there was this view that when he first came into the scene, mm. he was a bit anti-drug. Um, yes, yeah. yeah. He was a bit, he was a bit vol- like, a bit innocent and a bit anti-drug. And then... Um, yeah, once he started to earn the money, yeah, that's when he started getting on the party favors a fair bit. Yeah, I think that comes part and parcel with nightlife as well. I guess it depends what your point of view is and how serious you are about the actual work. I'm sure Michael was very serious about about the parties and throwing a great party and everyone having a good time. Um, but I think where his headspace was was becoming the monster and becoming the persona that he was trying to invent. And I've seen uh, similar things in other stories. People like. Uh, Lee Bowery, who is a, a, a performance artist from Sunshine, who moved to London, and maybe parallels were happening there, but Lee Bowery didn't kill anyone. Mm. Lee Bowery was more serious about fashion and art, and that's a different story. But I can definitely see what you're saying. And even from my personal experience, when you're getting people treating you like you're a star or bringing vodka backstage, etc., and having people stop wanting to post for selfies, you can... You know, take it one way of this is really flattering or you can just believe that you're elevated above everyone. I think that's what Michael... But particularly believed. when he was getting positive reinforcement for doing things like throwing money yeah. onto the dance floor. Or pissing on people. Or <laughs> pissing on people or like throwing drinks on people. Mm-hmm. It was like the things that people liked about Michael Alec, at least on my interpretation of it, was him being a bit of a dick. But, you know, on that line of it's all good fun. Yeah. It, it's that, that line. I and mean, look... People in their early 20s, I can understand that. Ah, absolutely as well. And I don't think that's just people in nightlife. I'm sure, like, most twinks kind of have that attitude as well. Mm. For instance, a friend of mine was saying that he just a few weeks ago before all this um, self-isolation thing was uh, rightfully in place, had this twink come up to him at the 86 saying, I'm not scared of corona. Corona can fuck me in the ass. (laughs) 
And was death dropping on the street. And now people on TikTok are like licking toilets. Again, this is um people in their early twenties who just don't see um how they come across or you know. they, they will in a few years. No one. They'll get a cringe. Get yeah. their head against that toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully they do that now. Well, hopefully, <laughs> probably not. It's yeah. just kidding. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It is <laughs> interesting, this, this, because, I mean, maybe a little bit earlier than this time, but around this time you also have, like, John Waters who's doing a similar thing. Like, there is a distinctively, like, gay aesthetic or impetus to do with, I don't know how to describe it. Like, transgression is one way of describing it. But transgression, to me, makes it seem like they're self-aware, but often it's not self-aware. Well, uh, with Michael Alec pretending he was fucked up, I think there's an element of self-awareness there, Mm. so at least he understood. The excess. This appreciation of excess. Yeah, even with things like Blood Feast, it's very apparent that he at least had a vision for these parties and he had a vision for how he was perceived. Whether or not um, he understood, I don't think maybe he cared that some people found him obnoxious. As long as people were talking about him and talking about the parties, it was all about getting publicity, etc. So maybe the ends justified the means for him, and he probably didn't care what like what he would perceive as nobody's uh, thinking about him being annoying. Yeah. Am I correct in thinking you've told me once about this this theory of like a velvet rage theory? Yes. Yes. What 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 is that all about? So, boiled down, the Velvet Rage theory is that all gay men need validation and they'll go to different lengths in order to get validation. Um, With Michael Arlick in particular, I think he got a lot of validation from fame. Mm. It's interesting that he came from this um, very humble means where he was bullied, etc., but he was also very intelligent where his flamboyance may have been overridden by um, may have overrode his uh, intelligence or all his positives. So moving to New York and then getting validation for his parties and for his persona, um, yeah, I can see how that happened, particularly when fame is involved and you're getting reinforcement from people like RuPaul or Joan Rivers. And it's- I, I did look this up in, in terms of, because when you first said that to me, I remember being like, oh, I don't know, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like that. But yeah. um, there have been studies that seem to indicate Mainly gay men, not not lesbians. Mainly gay men yeah. tend to fall into a perfectionist mindset. Yes, and I think that this this is maybe a variant of that perfectionist mindset, um, which in some ways can be really, really constructive and really, really good. Yeah, but can also be. I mean, with if the only validation that you're getting is being a horrible person. Mm. Um, I feel like it can go into a really pathological sense. And- well, I think a, a stronger drug uh, than MDMA or ketamine or heroin is applause. Yeah. So... And it, do you know what? It, and I don't know if you see these parallels. It reminds me a bit about um, Luca Magnotta. Right. Yeah. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, as in that, that, that idea of that excessiveness... 
It's funny that you say that because uh, I might talk about that in a bit when we talk about the eventual crime. Mm. Um, the idea that Luca Minotta was taunting um, the internet and taunting people, like, you know, trying to get publicity around this crime, etc. And Michael Ali did a similar thing. Yeah. Michael is making a lot of money as a promoter. He's um, getting a lot of attention by being excessive and transgressive at this point. Um, but... Clearly, he was hitting the drugs quite hard. Yes, and this is when drug dealers became a part of the payroll mm. of uh, venues like uh, the Limelights. This is when we have Angel entering the narrative. We have Andre Angel Melendez, who uh, was A-League's eventual victim. Mm. So Angel was described as a bit of a wannabe, a bit of a pest, and a bit of a desperado. He was not in the inner tier of like RuPaul and Chloe Sevigny or Big Urk. Uh, or Amanda Lepore. He was a bit of a an outsider and um, not cool in, in Michael Arley's eyes. So uh, Michael would openly mock him uh, and call him names like a pest and a wannabe, etc. Angel was owed thousands and thousands of dollars from uh, Michael and his inner circle because he was supplying drugs to them and supplying drugs to the patrons at Limelight, etc. And, and was he doing that? To, to kind of make himself look cooler? Like, as in, was he getting himself in debt with these drug deals because he wanted to be more and more involved in the scene? I don't know. Well, Angel popped up at all these parties and his, his shtick was wearing some wings, so I guess he wanted to be noticed. And from what I've heard, he was trying to penetrate that circle and, and trying to be one of the cool kids. I guess... Um, Sam just giggled at penetrate circle. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm giggling. <laughs> no, I'm actually giggling at the fact that he called himself Angel and Wings were like his MO. Like, just how tacky that is. And it's also a little bit of a foreshadow yeah. as well, seeming that he was an eventual victim. It's just like Sorry, the, Angel. The, the symbolism there is just so melodramatic, isn't it? And this is when uh, Michael was not very self aware. No. So he um, was heard going around saying, Ah, don't you just wish that Angel was dead to everyone um, yeah. he owed a debt to. So that's not the smartest of thinking is then you're going to actually um, kill the person. <laughs> so should we get to the night of the crime? I was going to say, yes. so, so I, I'd like to know about the murder. So right. um, was this, so we know at this point that Angel was was Michael Alec's main supplier of drugs. Yeah. Um, or at least a very prominent supplier of drugs. And, you know, Michael didn't have a very uh, good view of Angel, but Michael probably didn't have a very good view of most people. I think Michael didn't have a very good view of anyone who wasn't Michael. Yes. Um, so, so what led to this actual eventual death? So it was March 17, St. Patrick's Day, 1996. Um, Michael's roommate was Robert yeah. D. Freeze Riggs. Uh, we'll call him Freeze. He... Um, they were in their, their apartment, their luxury apartment, and Angel came around to collect the debt, or at least talk about the debt. And Michael did that thing, which a lot of people at crime scenes do, where they don't remember what happened. Mm. But in any event, there was a tussle between Freeze, Arlig, and Angel, and Freeze was pushed into Michael's china cabinet, where a shard of glass broke, and... We can't say what happened because no one remembers, but Michael or Freeze stabbed Angel with a shard of glass to death. 
And we, we don't know, do we? We don't know which one actually did the, the fatal blow. No, and also, we'll talk about this later, but the body was found too late um, after the crime to determine that. Do we know much about this freeze? Robert Freeze. Robert Freeze, sorry. Do we know much about Robert Freeze? Um, he was in the club scene as well. Obviously, okay. he was good enough in Michael's books to be... The honour of his roommate. My impression of Robert Freeze is that he was a bit of a simple, you know, guy. Not not quite on the level of Michael Alec in terms of the duplicitousness and the planning. So we don't know an awful lot about Robert Freeze and his motivations, etc. around the crime. I think the focus really is on Michael Alec, maybe because he is a celebutant, etc. Or maybe because he just wants the attention. So he's really just a supporting player in this crime. So, I imagine um, if I killed someone with another gay, we would be hopeless. You imagine? Yes. Like, imagine it's never been I, done. So, when... Um, when <laughs> I'm sure you would. I know. I have a whole plan. You'll be the first person I'll call. I'm a, I'm a lot of people's first person they will call if they <laughs> kill someone. <laughs> so, anyway, these two gays are sort of flapping their wrists around with this dead body in in Michael's apartment. So Freeze and Michael put Angel in the bathtub with some ice and some Drano. And they left him there for about 10 days. And in that time, they still socialized. They still had some people over, etc. And I like that they went down to Macy's and got a giant box and some Calvin Klein Eternity, which they sprayed around to get rid of the scent of decomposition, which I thought is the campus thing ever especially because it's called eternity yeah. and they're spraying around eternity covers and, up your dead body and there's a dead angel in there yeah. it's just it's it's just you know you couldn't write that could you so how long is he in the bathtub so at, at a certain point they start to it was michael starts to cut up the body yes so he was in the bathtub for about 10 days and I imagine we're at the point, 10 days, depending on how warm the apartment is, mm. there's a degree of decomposition going yes, on there. Yes, they did say that there was only decomposition on the bottom half of Angel. Like yeah. His top half was fine. Because the blood... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they also got some, some uh, knives and uh, some bags and Michael or Freeze, that I've heard Michael did it, uh, dismembered Angel, and they put his limbs into a garbage bag, and they put the rest of Angel in a giant box, which they put in their living room. And like I said, they still socialise at this time. So James St. James came around and put his feet on the box, and Michael said, oh, do these shoes look familiar? And he was tapping his foot. He was wearing Angel's clothes, including uh -huh. his very um, famous footwear. Apparently, Angel had some very specific footwear that he would wear to the club and Michael was blatantly wearing so them. Angel, Angel was a low-key icon then. They, they say he was nobody, but everyone, you know, everyone knew what he was wearing. Well, it was, it was everyone's drug dealer. Yeah, so I'm sure everyone knew him from that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of, like, what level the smell must have been at this time. Like, as in 10 days Ooh, yeah. in the box. I don't understand their thinking from moving it to the bathtub to a box. That doesn't really make sense Because there would be more me. fluid. Yeah. You would think it would link through the box. Well, they probably weren't Look. thinking. Uh, oh, definitely not. They were also on heavy drugs at yes. this time yes. as well. They eventually decided, well, we've got to get rid of this body. We can't have this just sitting in our apartment like a piece of glamorous uh, decomposing furniture. I mean, they could. So, but... If anyone has seen Paris is Burning, this is a very interesting side note. 
So Dorian Corey, who was a very prominent drag queen at the time, had a mummy in her apartment because she murdered an intruder. I'm assuming a future synesthesia episode <laughs> on her. Uh, I'll be tuning in. You um, you believe you me? I'll be here for that because I think that's a really fascinating case. So, like I said, imagine gays trying to get rid of a body. Yeah. So they decided after some time, like, oh, we should probably, you know, get rid of this the thing that's in our apartment and causing a smell, taking up space, and people were getting a bit sus. So what they did was they caught a cab down to the Hudson River, and the cab driver actually helped them out. And did that thing, you know what always happens when there's a dead body around? They're like, oh, what do you got in here, a dead body? Same thing happened with Jeffrey Dahmer. Yes, and the suitcase. Yeah. The in the suitcase. It's so bizarre. It's like, oh, little do you know. So, again, gay is trying to do something with manual labor. Horrible. They forgot to puncture holes in uh, the box before they threw it in the river. And Angel's body washed up on Staten Island soon after. Because of the air causing it to float. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently there was a, a big storm at the time as well, which helped push the, the box over to Staten Island. So they just had terrible luck. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, they had good luck to knock out. I don't feel <laughs> sorry for them. <laughs> no, like, no. Well, they had pretty good luck overall. They had a dead body in their lounge room for X amount of time and no one yeah. found it. So. Yeah. yeah. It was, yeah, interesting. But um, there was an investigation, obviously, but. Michael Alec had a big mouth, which will be a surprise to no one. Yeah. And he was just telling people that, yeah, they, um, they killed Angel. Was, oh, but don't tell anyone. And mm. I'm trying to understand the motivations behind that. So do you, do you think he wanted to shock people and this was good news? So it was interesting that you brought up um, Luca Minotta earlier. Yeah. I think if they had got away with it, there would have been a level of disappointment. This adds to his persona in some way. Maybe it was worth the risk of... Um, people finding out about it in a way that's going to get him in trouble. I think he just couldn't resist the idea of this somehow being publicity. Also, a lot of people at the time thought it was just a big publicity joke and that Angel's just going to pop up at a club somewhere because he did things like Blood Feast and his brand was pretty risky anyway. It's, you know, not outrageous thinking to assume that that could be a possibility. He was, uh, he was a copycat. He was one of those copycats that we hate, and so we killed him. I killed Angel, and that's the kind of thing that gets me in trouble. <laughs> so the press started talking about this. There was an article in page six, which people may know as the scandalous section of the New York Post, and also a little bit of a uh, debrief in the Village Voice, where the press was starting to talk about this, and at this time it was an unidentified body floating up on Staten Island. So they didn't know who it was until November 1996. Well, because, I mean, he was fairly well decomposed at this point. I was Yeah, by the time they found the body, and he wasn't identified until November 1996 as well. So in the inner circle, there were already a buzz around Angel's disappearance and his death because Michael was telling everyone. So, yeah, it wasn't until authorities found his body in uh, November 96 when the heat was on Michael. Alec and Freeze. So they were eventually arrested and they pleaded self-defense. They both offered a plea deal and sentenced to 20 years. And Michael Alec served 17 years and was released in 2014. And what happened with uh, Robert Freeze? So he was released in 2010. So a few years before Alec. And can we talk about the fact that you actually did try and reach out to Michael Allen? I did. Well, he's out and he's uh, on the social, so I slipped him a DM and he didn't reply. 
very rude, Michael. Also, in context, it was for research for this show, not just because I was lonely in (laughs) self-isolation. Come on. I like to keep it ambiguous. Let's be real. Absolutely. So, Michael today is a wannabe YouTuber. It's quite interesting watching someone who has no idea about technology trying to be a social media influencer. used to be Gay Pride Week. Right, and now it's been expanded to a month. It's expanded to a month. And that's because you say why? I said it was because the the greedy party promoters want to have more parties, more pride parties. Greedy, greedy pride, filled with greed and pride. Oh, those are two of two of the of the sins: greed and pride, right? Yes. I mean, that is the legacy of Michael Alec. Do we we know, after the film was made about him, did he have any response to that? He gave it a B, he said. Okay. He said he he saw it. So the film is Party Monster with Macaulay Culkin, which we discussed earlier. He uh, gave it a B, so he didn't hate it. Look, it's an okay film. It's a bit of a... It it, it slows down midway. I didn't like it. No. I will say. Okay. (laughs) I haven't seen it since I was 15, but around the time it came out... But um, wasn't Chloe Savini in? She was. It looked like they filmed her stuff like pretty last minute as well. There's some odd shots of her like eating a packet of chips, watching them on Geraldo. And one thing uh, that Michael Ollick has said that everyone who got off drugs became successful. RuPaul stopped doing drugs. Chloe Savini stopped doing drugs, and then. Here they are. They're um. They're still going. They rose above. Unlike Michael Alec, who was arrested in 2017 for trespassing and smoking crystal meth in a park in the Bronx. He's hitting his peak right now. He's great. <laughs> he's great. He's great. But I don't know what he's been doing really since then. I think he's still trying to kick around doing club stuff. But obviously it's a very hard sell because no one really wants to come to a club hosted by a killer. Is it if he one? wants to reach out to Citizens, <laughs> Sam is looking at me with such fear right now. Look, come on, Michael. When you're ready, come and get it. Sinister <laughs> underscore sissies. We'd love to hear from you. Ah, uh, sneak into their DMs, Michael. Yeah. Thank you, Josh, for telling us all about Michael Alec. Uh, I know we're midway through a pandemic, so uh, is there something that you would like to shout out that you're part of in the near future? If you would like to join uh, the Pride of Our Footscray live streams, that would be wonderful every Saturday. Um, yes, I guess. All drag performers are now going digital, which is the best we can do at this time. We're happy to spread joy where we can. Thank you all for listening to the Sinister Sissies podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Sinister Sissies. You can also follow us on Instagram at Sinister underscore Sissies. Get us to 100. Sam is uh, in charge of our Instagram and we we know from previous episodes that Sam does not believe in social media, so I'm forcing him to do this. Well, look, it's an educational and enlightening experience for me. I'm already following about 50 guys I have the hots for, so it's going great. Very nice. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter at Jared Bartle. That is Jared with a Y. Uh, And until next time, stay sinister. 
Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 